Thank you for joining us. Remember, you can watch our services live and view our archive at StevensCreekChurch.com, the Stevens Creek app, or on our Roku channel. And if our ministries have touched your life, we'd love to hear about it. Send us an email to mystory@stevenscreekchurch.com. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning and welcome to Stevens Creek Church. So good to see you today. Man, I hope you've had a good weekend. Some of you have. Yeah, some of you have. Some of you haven't. I love you. I get it. I, and I'm not smiling. Are you smiling, Jody? You're not smiling either. Not at all. Yeah, it's... Uh, I don't even know where to go on some Sundays. And some of you are just scratching your head like, what is he talking about? Don't even worry about it. I wouldn't even go there either. Um, you know, I think what they train, when I was a kid, they trained you certain things to respond. And our, our typical response was, wait till next year. Um, but that, that's not going to fly here either. Now, what a, and it was an incredible game for some folks. And um, I, I thought, I kept on waiting for it to turn around, but it just never did. Mm. I need to move on. Um, <clears throat> there's no hope uh, in what I was uh, in staying there. Anyway, you know, I love to start with something funny. So uh, here's that. I heard about this 85-year-old man. He went out fishing, and he heard this voice. Um, and he said, pick me up, pick me up. And he looked around, and there was a frog down there. And he said, pick me up. And if you pick me up and kiss me, I'll turn into a beautiful bride. And so the 85-year-old man picked him up and looked at him. Put him in his pocket. He said, hey, I said, if you kiss me, I'll turn into a beautiful bride. He said, hey, at 85 years old, I'd rather have a talking frog. <laughs> <laughs> well, today we're starting a five-week series uh, uh, based on uh, the Good Samaritan story. That's, how many of you ever heard the phrase Good Samaritan? Let me see your hands. How many of you have actually read the real story about the Good Samaritan? Let me see your hands. Okay, there's uh, most of us here. So, you know, the challenge with uh, uh, focusing on a story that is so popular like the Good Samaritan is that we all think we know it. And so I'm going to test you a little bit. Turn to the person uh, beside you and tell them uh, what the Good Samaritan story is all about in just a few words. Okay, if some of you said the Good Samaritan story is about being nice, maybe some of you said that, maybe some of you said it was about being helpful, maybe about sacrifice, maybe about serving others, if you said any of those things, you're right, well, partially right, um, but there is more to this story. Jesus also used this story to teach us how to have the best life possible. And so over the next several weeks, we're going to be looking deep into this story, and we're going to learn how to have a better life. And I think most of us are really interested in that, to try to figure that out. And we don't want you to get on this journey by yourself, but we want to encourage you to be a part of a small group. And if you're not a, a part of a small group, stop by uh, the People Matter wall, and they'll help you get connected. Maybe some of you would like to host a small group. Uh, they're going to... Uh, 
uh, help you do that too. On the back of your worship guide, there's some questions and, uh, that can help uh, you foster a conversation this week with some of your friends just to talk about this and maybe go a little bit deeper in the process. Uh, several Earlier this week, I, heard, I read the story about Kara Wood. Kara Wood was a 17-year-old soccer player, a high school student from Sagrin Falls, Ohio. And she took a job at Dink's Diner to help uh, uh, the family out in the, as she was in high school. And it was at this diner she met an 82-year-old widower named Bill Cruxton. Now, Bill would come in uh, for lunch and dinner and for a little social interaction. And they developed a unique friendship. And it was a unique friendship because here we see um, that that Kara was outgoing and friendly and kind, and Bill, on the other hand, was opinionated and sometimes overbearing, and their personalities kind of clashed. But yet, through that, they still developed this unique friendship, to the point where Kara would go over to his house and help him uh, with errands and around the house and so forth. Well, later that year, Bill ended up in the hospital with heart failure. He had one picture beside his bed, and that was Kyra's picture. And then shortly after that, Kyra received a phone call from the hospital that Bill had died. And then she received this information that he had left all of his belongings to her. So she received over a half million dollars from this man. Now, Kara took that money and invested it and went to college and made something of herself. And here's a picture of her at the diner now. And what we see is that Kara rolled up her sleeves to help somebody else out, never dreaming that it was going to be a blessing on the other end. In this story, and I believe that when we do that, when we roll up our sleeves and help somebody, that God has a way of bringing blessings our way. When we're just kind and nice to people, that comes back to us. And over the next few weeks, we're going to dive deep into this because I believe that every one of us can become better people by embracing four principles from the story of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. We're going to start reading with verse 25. Helping someone along the way is at the core of Jesus' message. We pick it up. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up and to test Jesus. He asked, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, when we read the question like that, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Most of us, 99% of us, would go immediately to the afterlife. We're thinking that this guy is asking a question, Hey, how do I get to heaven? Now, that is a real question, and that is an important question, but that is not what Jesus was focused on in this particular parable that he is telling. Because you see, in their mind, when you use the words to inherit eternal life, they didn't see it in the afterlife in the Jewish context, but they interpreted that to be, how do I live my best life now? How do I live in step with God, in tune, in harmony with God Almighty? This lawyer that asked him that question, he was looking for purpose. He was looking for, fulfill, for fulfillment. He was looking to try to figure out how to have a better life. And so he stands up and he puts Jesus to the test. And everybody in the audience there kind of leaned in. 
Because they're looking at Jesus and they're wondering, how is he going to respond? What's he going to say? Tell us, teacher, how do we have a life of purpose? How do we have a better life? How do we inherit eternal life? Now, Jesus responded to that lawyer's question with a question of his own. He said, what is written in the law? And how do you read it? Jesus here is speaking to an expert in the law. And he's saying, how do you see it happening? Now, you've got to understand that in that context, when Jesus talked about the law, he was talking about the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And in those first five books, there were actually 613 commandments. And experts in the law had to memorize all 613. And in those days, those rabbis and those teachers would get together and they would banter back and forth about the the most important command. They would rank these laws like we rank college football teams. Maybe the top 10 or maybe the top 25. And so they would go back and forth and Jesus responded to him and said, you know, look, if you want the best life possible, here's what I want you to do. He said, I want you to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, with all of your mind. That's what I want you to do. I want you to love the Lord your God. What he is saying here is this, and you can fill in the blank, put God first and all these other things will fall into their proper place. Put God first. And that's a message for all of us. If we want the best life possible, we need to put God first. We need to put God first in our life. But then we look at the, 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 um, the things that we're involved in. Whatever you want God to bless, put him first in that area. If you want God to bless your family, put God first in your family. If you want God to bless your career, put God first in your career. If you want God to bless your finances, put God first in your finances. Whatever you want God to bless, put him first in. You see, when you put God first in your life, your life is going to change. You're going to see things differently. You're going to see things more clearly. It will be as if the fog that is around, uh, hovering over you will be lifted. And when that fog is lifted, the light of Jesus will come. In fact, that's what Jesus said. He said, I am the light of the world, and if you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that what? That leads to life. He wants us to walk in in the light. But so many of us, we push away from the light and and we gravitate toward the darkness. Here's the problem when we walk in darkness. It's dangerous. When we walk in darkness, there's a a tendency that we'll we'll stumble, that we'll fall. And so we've got to turn on the light. Here's the point. The further you're away from God, the more confused about life you're going to be. When you start to push God away and you start to move toward the darkness and you separate yourself from God, the further you're away from God, the more confused about life you're going to be. But the closer to God you get, 
the less confused that you're going to be. When you get close to God, you're going to have clarity. He's going to open up your mind to new thoughts. And he's going to open up your mind uh, to ways uh, to better your life, to walk in peace, to experience joy. And he said, put him first. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Now, if you're around Stevens Creek very, very much, you hear this because we say it around here a lot. People ask the question, hey, what's that church like over there? What's that church all about? We're here to love God. We're here to love people and serve the world. That's what Stevens Creek's about. We're here to love God. We're here to love people. And we're here to serve the world. Why is that? Because we believe that people matter. People matter to God and they ought to matter to us. And so Jesus is saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, Jesus here is teaching the golden rule. The golden rule is presented in the Sermon of the Mount And it's this. This is number two. Treat other people like you want to be treated. Now, this is probably a lesson that you learned when you were a child or maybe when you were in school. And it's one of those valuable lessons, whatever uh, place that you are in in your journey of life. Treat other people like you want to be treated. We say it around here a lot. Just be nice to people. I want you to be kind to people. And that is so important. I was, uh, yesterday I was at Costco and wearing my Just Be Nice shirt, the Stevens Creek shirt we, uh, we sold this past summer. And the guy stopped me uh, and says, wow, if every, he was the guy, the uh, Jack, the guy at the door that uh, looks at your ticket. And um, he said, wow, if everybody did uh, what's on your shirt, my, my job would be a lot different. But there's something about that. Why is that important? Because when you're kind to people, God can use your kindness to get his message through. It's funny, I I have this opportunity these days to speak to pastors around. uh, They always want to know, what's the secret of Stevens Creek? They've seen Stevens Creek from a distance and they want to, what's what's the secret over there? And so I'll actually be speaking to some pastors in South Georgia tomorrow and, and Tuesday. And they'll ask that question and here's how I'll answer that. I teach our people to be nice to people. And they say, not really, what is it? Because that's just so foreign to people. No, that's really what it is. That is the secret to Stevens Creek. Why is that the secret? Here's the reason why. Because when you're kind to people, you're going to start a conversation with them. Do you realize that when you have that conversation with somebody who is far from God, that God leans in and the Holy Spirit gets involved in that conversation? And just maybe that conversation, which is normal, talking about everyday things, may have a twist in it that can turn that conversation into a spiritual conversation. And just maybe you'll have that opportunity to say, hey, why don't you come to church with me Sunday? That's the secret right there. And what's come? And what we see, Jesus is saying, treat other people like you want them to be treated. Love the Lord your God with all your heart 
and your neighbor as yourself. Verse 28 says, you've answered correctly. Jesus said, if you do this, you will live. If you do this, you'll have the good life. But that lawyer that day wasn't satisfied. In verse 29, uh, but he wanted to justify himself, so he asked the Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now, in those days, that was a huge question. Who's my neighbor? In our day, you know, when we say, well, who's your neighbor? And we start giving the people, well, the Jones live here. Across the street, we've got uh, the Smiths here. And, and we start to explain our neighborhood. But no, that's not the case in their mind. In their mind, there is a big debate as to who qualified as being a neighbor. Most Jews believed that their neighbors were only other Jews, people who thought like them, people who acted like them, people who had the same religious system that they did. Most Jews didn't see other people as their neighbors. They, wanted, they just dealt with people of their own tribe who liked their own teams, who, who um, really voted like they voted, and so forth. And so this man was trying to get Jesus um, to box him in. And he's asked that question, well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus responded to that question by telling a story that most of us have heard. The story of the Good Samaritan. Jesus said, who is my neighbor? And he responded, verses 30 through 35. He said, a man, he responded by telling this story. He said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho where he was attacked by robbers. And they stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and he went away. And they left him there on the ground half dead. Now, a priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by to the other side. But then there's a Levite that came and went to the place and saw him, he passed by to the other side. But Jesus had a twist in the story. And the twist came next. He said, but there's a Samaritan. And right when he would say the word Samaritan, all of them said, oh, no, not a dreaded Samaritan, not one of those people. They hated the Samaritans. But a Samaritan, as he traveled by, came by where their man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went over to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine on it. Then he put the man on his own donkey. And he brought him to an inn and he took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and he gave it to the innkeeper. He said, look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have had. And we notice in verse 33, he took pity on him. Which that just tells us that in this story, as it developed, that this Samaritan man slowed down long enough to see a man in need. And he took pity on him. I have to say that sometimes I'm not like the Samaritan. I'm not like him a lot because I'm... There are times in my life where I don't see people in need because I am so busy trying to keep my plates spinning. Maybe some of you can relate. That, you know, you've got two or three or four things going on at one time. And you're just so focused on trying to get those things done that there's somebody right close by and you don't even see them because you're so focused on your own issues. That's me. I've been there many, many times. Here's the point, third point. 
slow down so that God can show you the needs that are close by. Slow down. That's what it says to me, slow down. So many times when we think about helping the unfortunate, we want to say, yes, the unfortunate are the needy. It's those people who are over there. They live over there. And, and we separate ourselves from the problem area, whether it's in another continent or another county. And what we're seeing here is that this Samaritan looked and found a need right where he was. And, and I think the message to you and me is we need to slow down so that God can show you the needs that are close by. Who is your neighbor? Your neighbor is that person in need. That's who it is. Your person, a person in need. You know, a lot of people try to explain the story. And it's interesting, and, it, and it's a very popular story. It's so popular that, uh, that the writers of Seinfeld used this story um, in the last show of that series. How many of you are uh, Seinfeld fans? Anybody in the house? Oh, yeah. Um, you remember their last show? It was the grand finale. They took a, sh- a, a shot at explaining... And explaining the, the Good Samaritan. Now, now Seinfeld's going to be in town. I think it's going to be at the Bell this coming uh, Friday. It's kind of interesting. You know, he's been here before. And the reason I remember him coming before is that every Christmas uh, at our staff Christmas party, we give away a door prize. And so uh, a couple of years ago, the door prize was two tickets to see Jerry Seinfeld. And everybody drew, and the name that came out of the the hat was the youngest staff member on our team, Hannah Sprinkle. And so she pulled out those tickets to Jerry Seinfeld, and she looked and she says, Who is Jerry Seinfeld? I felt really old. I mean, seriously. So to those of you who are Hannah's age, Jerry Seinfeld had a sitcom called Seinfeld. And it ran from 1989 to 1998. And when those writers said, you know, we've had a good run. We want to bring this to a close. How can we close this out? So thinking about it, they decided to close it out with an episode based on the Good Samaritan. Now, let me say... When we uh, see that episode, it was not necessarily something positive for us to follow. In fact, here's how it happened. You've got, you've got Elaine and George and Kramer and Jerry walking down a sidewalk, and they see across the street, they see this car being hijacked. They see this guy uh, uh, carjacked, and they see uh, the, guy, the driver being pulled out, and they're just staring at him. In fact, um, they're taking pictures of it. They're making fun of him and everything else. And then when the police finally showed up, the police walked over to them and arrested all four of them. And said, wait, what do you mean arresting us? We didn't do anything. And he said, that's exactly right. You broke uh, the law. Well, what did we break? You broke the good Samaritan law that if you see the good that needs to be done and you can do it, you need to do it. And so they took uh, Elaine and George and Kramer and Jerry to jail. And so you see them, that last scene in jail, and they're saying, the good Samaritan, are they crazy? Then George says, why would we want to help somebody? 
That's what the nuns and the Red Cross are for. Well, you know what? That's how we think. How many times do we think, yep, there's a need over here. Well, those, the nuns need to do that. The Red Cross need to, needs to have a step in. The church needs to do something. Well, why isn't the government? We pay enough taxes. Why isn't the government doing that? And before you know it, we miss an opportunity to help somebody close by that has a need. I'm not preaching at you today. I'm sharing my struggle too. And so too many times, I'm like George. Too many times, we're like George. We see the need, but we're just too busy. We're too busy to reach and give a helping hand. And, and the goal of this message and this whole series is to help us to become better people. And I think one way we become better people is by doing something. And that's the fourth and final one. Do something. Because I believe that the way you serve God is by serving other people. The way you serve God is by serving other people. And I realize you may be saying, well, Marty said, my neighbors are fine. In fact, I wish I was doing as well as my neighbors. They need to come over and help me. If we're going to understand this story, we've got to redefine in our minds who our neighbors are. We've got to redefine that it's more than the people who live on the cul-de-sac. It's more than the people who work with us in cubicle world. It's more than the teachers that are on staff of the schools or the students. It's more than the business owners. It's more than the doctors or, or um, the lawyers or, or the government officials. Our neighbor is that person in need. And it doesn't matter if that person is down the street or across the world. That's true. I'm trying to do my best. Help me, somebody. <laughs> Our neighbor is the one in need. This past week, as I was praying on Monday, actually, I was just praying over this, Sunday, uh, this week, and I was praying over uh, this message and this series. And I found myself saying these words, God, help me to help others. Help me to... And I just said that over and over, and then it kind of connected with me. That's really the simple message of this whole day. That we come to a place where we just say, God, help me to help others. There's people all around us. Some are family members, some are friends, some are co-workers. They just need a helping hand. They just need somebody that will kind of help pick them up from that place they find themselves there are people who are struggling. There's, some of them are struggling with loneliness. Some of them are struggling just because they physically cannot do something. Some of them have just had a bad season. That they've been out of work. They've been at uh, a difficult place or they're underemployed. Maybe they're struggling with addictions. 
you know, we have an opportunity to help. That's why we have a recovery small group. Some people are, are struggling with just inner issues. And you need freedom. That's why we have freedom groups. We've got ten freedom groups going on now. Some of them struggling with their kids. You know, you can help change a life by being involved uh, with somebody's kids. And if, you, if you're interested in that, we've got a kids ministry here that today we'll have uh, around 350 kids from birth to fifth grade. I mean, our children's department is larger than most churches in America. God has just blessed us with an opportunity to impact the next generation. But you know what? We're a volunteer-intensive organization. And it takes around 85 volunteers every week to adequately serve these kids. 85. That's a lot. And so when we hear a message like this, I, I want you to just be open to those promptings. And I want you to be like the Samaritan. And I want you to get off your donkey. And I want you to roll up your sleeves and say, Hey, I can't do this over here, but I can help out over here. Hey, I may not be able to do that, but I can do this. And, and it's in that, that that we're brought into the story. And what we'll understand is that when we get in the story, we are there to bless other people and help other people. But at the same time, we're receiving the blessings and the encouragement from the Lord himself. One day, you're going to stand before a holy God. One day you're going to give an account for your life. We're all going to do that. I'm going to stand before God. And I believe that when I stand before God, he's going to ask me two questions. Two questions. He's going to ask me, he's going to ask you, first of all, why should I let you into heaven? And we're maybe tempted at that point. We're saying, well, I've done a lot of good works. I've given to the poor. You know, I really tried to help people out. And the Bible says, not of works of righteousness should any man boast. That's not going to work. Why should I let you into heaven? You know, the, the answer to that question is because I have trusted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I have trusted Jesus. We don't get to heaven on our own works. We get to, to heaven on the work that Christ has done on the cross. So that's why we need Jesus. He has paid our debt. And he has this. And so the question is, have you received the free gift of the forgiveness of sins? It's free to you, but Jesus paid for it with his life. And so when you stand before God, he's going to ask that question, why should I let you into heaven? The answer to that is because I trusted Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of my sins. And he's going to look at you and says, welcome into the joys of the Lord. Have you done that? Have you made... Uh, made it right with the Lord? Have you received Jesus Christ as your Savior? You can do that in just a few minutes. I said he's going to ask you two questions. Some of you are saying, okay, that's the first one. What's the second one then? I thought there's really only one question. I really believe there's two questions. And here's the second one. What did you do with what I gave you? What did you do with what I gave you? 
All of us have, have been given resources. We've been given talents and abilities. And we've been given um, experiences. And we've been given passions. And, and we've been uh, uh, given um, a, <clears throat> our personality. And all of that shapes us into who God has created us to be. And then he is saying, what did you do with it all? What did you do with what I gave you? And that's a question of stewardship. We've all been entrusted with a lot of resources. How are we using those to make his name known and to help other people? I want you to think about that this week. And as we prepare for prayer, for those of you this morning, in this auditorium and those watching online, I just want to speak to you very clearly. Because today is a day of of salvation. Today is an opportunity for you to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. And I realize maybe you've heard appeals like this before. Maybe you've sat in services like this before. But for whatever reason, you let it go in one ear and out the other, and your life has never been changed. But today... God is knocking on the door of your heart. And God is saying, let me in. And what I'm saying to you is open the door and say, Jesus, I receive the gift of the forgiveness of sin. I I can't save myself. I need a Savior. Will you save me? And if you'll pray that simple prayer, it's not because you've earned it. It's not because I deserve it or you deserve it. It's because of his love and his grace that he has given it to us. So just consider it today. Take that step. Say, Jesus, save me. Jesus, forgive me. Change my life. Will you do that? Let's pray together. Father, I am so thankful for this message today because I really feel like it, it speaks to all of us. And Lord, there are folks here today that they are the wounded ones on the side of the road. They're the ones that have been left there half dead. And they've walked through this door and, and they are crying out for help. And today, Father, we're calling on your name to help. And Father, as we pray this prayer, do as only you can do. I want you to pray this prayer. Say, Jesus, help me. Say that. Say, Jesus, save me. Say, Jesus, make me into the kind of person that you'd have me to be. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I receive this in Jesus' name. Now, Father, I pray for those people that are making those spiritual decisions. I also pray for those people that have been wounded and hurt. I ask, God, that you'd bring healing. We give this prayer to you, and we pray this in the strong name of Jesus. And everybody said... Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, I want you to take your next step. I want you to tell somebody. You know, it's a personal and private prayer, but there comes a point where we go public with it. We tell somebody. But I want to challenge you to do the next thing. I want you to go public, and I want you to tell this community. How do you do that? Through the waters of baptism. Next Sunday afternoon, we're going to have our our baptism service. And so if you have recently made a decision to follow Jesus, we want to follow in his uh, footsteps. And we want to go public with our faith through the waters of baptism. You can stop by the uh, information center out in the atrium and find out um, 
information about our baptism class, and I want you to be in that uh, next Sunday. God bless you so much. Look forward to seeing you then. Thanks for listening. If you would like to help support the ministries of Stevens Creek Church, please go to StevensCreekChurch.com and click the Give button. See you next time.